0: Shalom, everyone. This is Zion Hebraic Congregation with me, Luke Tanner. Uh, This week's Shabbat message is by my dad, Warren Tanner, entitled, Paul's Defense of His Ministry. Um, Feel free to check out our website there. You can find archived Shabbat messages as well as blog posts by my dad. You can sign up for those in the little subscribe box. There's also links to our social media accounts. And uh, you can subscribe to our messages on whatever podcast provider you like, such as Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and whatnot. Enjoy. Hey, mighty warriors around. Okay, so, 2 Corinthians 10. So I am um, made it through 1 Corinthians, going through 2 Corinthians. Um, actually finished 2 Corinthians, I'm in Galatians now. But anyway, um, I started some thoughts on what to speak on from this passage. And so what we're gonna do is, this is how we're gonna work our way through this. I'm going to give you a brief outline of the book. Say a few things. So there's like three potential parts here. I'm gonna give you the outline, say a few things. Then we're gonna read through it. And I wanna get through both chapters because they go together, I think, beautifully. So we'll read through it. And while I'm reading through it, I'll say a few comments and then the rest of my comments, which I still have to say, if there's any time left. Torn, it's now quarter till, so you're my timekeeper, right? That I will forget. Um, we will then finish with that. So let's go ahead and pray before we start. Father, we thank you that we can oh, assemble here. And I just, I just love it when I come each week and just get refocused on these things that are very eternal. You know, and, and the hymns, that, the songs that we sing, the, the hymns that we sing, and oh, just uh, the verses of Scripture we read and our focus being on you and our land and Yeshua its just a blessing, Father. And to me, this is always like a hit and a reset button in my life weekly, and I, I appreciate it so much. So I ask that you bless. Thank you for your word that it is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of our hearts. So do that supernatural work in us that you know needs to be done through the life-giving words of your word. And somehow, Father, be pleased to use me. In Yeshua's name, amen. All right, so... I, uh, I, I kind of like to, for my own sake, once I get captivated by a passage of Scripture, my own reading, and there's a potential to speak on it, I, I'd like to see if I can come up with how I would view the passage by way of, of outline. So um, I'm going to read just a little bit from my study Bible on the, from the introduction because I think this will, will help. Uh, some background information. Uh, They say, 2 Corinthians is written to the assembly that was founded on Paul's first visit to that city. Since his departure and subsequent ministry in Ephesus, the apostle has learned a great deal about the serious problems fermenting in this assembly, problems with worldliness, internal wranglings, and doctrinal defections continue to fester in spite of Paul's efforts in the first epistle. Opposition to Paul's ministry continues to amount, especially coming from the party that associated itself with Christ. The leader of this group seems to have been especially hostile to the apostle. And then it talks about the charges that were leveled at him, which is f- interesting. For example, this, this leader possibly accused Paul of fickleness, author, authoritarianism, ministering without proper credentials, cowardice, failure to maintain proper clerical dignity, presumption, and fleshliness. <laughs> this, is, this is great. This is the Apostle Paul getting slammed and smacked all over the place. You know, who even thinks to do that? So, But this harkens back to 1 Corinthians, right in the first chapter. Some some say, I am of Paul, I am of Paulus, I am of Cephas, I am of Christ. And until I read this introduction, and I always late to the party, never realized that these were actually titles for uh, factious groups. And there was a party that said, okay, you're of Paul's party. We're we're of the Apollos clique. Uh, We're of, who am I missing here? Cephas. Well, we're of the Christ group. And they, they felt a superiority over the rest because they were a members of what they considered this elite group. And evidently, the leader of this group, as usually happens, feels threatened by a man of God that has some power, some truth, and humility and backbone to speak. His, so this, this leader of the Christ group is feeling threatened by this, this guy He's like, who's this guy? He hasn't been bent to the right school. Look at his physical appearance. It's terrible. And on top of that, his oratory sucks. He's not a great oratist, whatever the word is. And so this guy and others were able to pick at the things in Paul that were surface-based, appearance-based, and then they could manifest themselves as... We have the right clerical garb. Listen, we've been to the right schools and we've even taken speech 101 and know how to talk before a crowd. Whereas this guy here is a bumbling idiot. Looks like he just rolled out of bed and doesn't even take care of himself. I don't know if it's that bad, but in essence, that's what's going on. So um, I've titled this Paul's defense of his apostolic ministry Um, by way of a point of reference, because you have to catch the intensity of what Paul is about to write. And so often it's just words on paper and we don't know the inflections. We can't see the face. We don't hear the tone of his voice. We don't see the intensity of his writing. The emotion sometimes is sucked away and it just becomes very flat lined. So I want us to understand, as we get into this, that this, Paul is animated here. I always use crappy language to get in trouble, but he's, I'm just, he's pissed off. He's at the end of it. And so by point of reference, I have two things. One, it just made me think this morning when I was going over all this, because when I get closer to preaching and I'm reading it, it's like, okay, I'm feeling it more. To me, it's just like those of us that grew up watching Popeye. Remember Popeye the cartoon, the old black and whites, and then they went color. And, and so I pulled up one again to watch today because I could, that's all I can stand. I can't stand no more. You know, Brutus has been beating the living daylights out of him, and he's always trying to steal olive oil, and poor Popeye's trying to be a nice guy, and he's getting smacked all over the place by Brutus, episode after episode. Finally, in this one I watch, he always has a can of spinach, somewhere, somehow, someway. And Brutus is ready to come in on top of him, and he's like, I can't stand anymore, and grabs out his can of spinach, gobbles it down, and just plummets Brutus to death. That's the apostle Paul here. He's not going to take it any more under the power and inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He's going to level these people. The other point of reference that may be more applicable is Yeshua going into the temple. He just had enough. He just had enough. No longer is he going to let the system get away with it. He, above all else, knows he is the Torah walking around. He is the temple, the actual guy. And and he sees how they're trampling all over his Torah, his word, and they've made the temple just a a sham, a, a, a tool, an edifice, for, for the, the, the fault leaders to line their pockets and have a good life. And he's at the end. And so he reaches for his can of spinach, pops it open, swallows it, and he goes in there transformed from what he had ever showed himself before to these people, looking like a lunatic, tearing everything up. He had enough. All right, that's where we are with Paul in these chapters. I'll try to tone down here a little. Take a breath. I can't help it. I just love the Word of God. It comes alive. It's a living book. That's why I highlight that all the time. So I want to make it live, if I can, through my version of it. Anyway, okay, so. There is an eternal power play threatening to undermine Paul's authority and the very stability of of the congregation. Nothing changes. We've been through this in our congregation here. I've been through it in the ministry. When I pastored my church for 18 years, prior to that as assistant pastors, it is constantly going on. And and the older I get, I'm just tired of it all. I'm just tired of it all. I don't play the games anymore. I'm Mr. Nice Guy. But if you want to go a few rounds, I'm your man. We're not messing around anymore. We're at the closer time of Yeshua coming. Our country's just falling apart. Our congregations are messianic. And Christian, are just a shambles and a shame and an embarrassment. Not that we're doing it all right. <laughs> We've we got our own messes and we're ain't. You know, I'm not casting what's this, casting stones at glass houses or something like that but i just tired of it, just tired of it. We have to stop this. We have to have safe havens to where we can at least come together, though we are different and have differences. As long as they're not doctrinal, just, just leave them out there. We want to come here for a unified time of worship and praise and focus on God's word, such as it is, whatever it is. Is it always my flavor? No. Is it always your flavor? No. You might wish, you know, your man was standing here, sitting here and preaching and all that. But this is what we have. And I love the heartbeat of Paul as he gets into this. So I split split it up this way. Chapter 10, turf war, T-U-R-F, turf war. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, 11, and 12 that there are contentions. And the contention is over turf. It's over turf. Who's going to have this congregation? Who's going to be in ascendancy? So you have the groups of Paul, Apollos, Cephas, and Christ. So there's, there's, there's a tug of uh, there's a turf war going on. And interestingly, these things always start innocently because in just a little bit while we're going through this outline in chapter 10 verse 10 what i i just saw in the way i'm seeing it the other day verse 10 for his letters say they (laughs) well that just jumped out at me and that's part of the blessing for me just taking my time and reading the word of god these words that i've just kind of skipped over well and you've heard it well you know what they say that there's this bad uh flu virus going on well, you know what, they say that, that this, there's always the they says when somebody is going to share something that they don't really have maybe firsthand knowledge uh, or understanding of. It's always they say. Well, they say. Well, who's they say? Well, they say. You know, and so that, that you know, when, when that happens in congregations, I've learned to say, when people say, well, you know what, they, they, they and they, and they say, okay, who? Well, they, well, can you give me maybe two or three? And invariably, it's usually that one person. You know, pastor, there's other, there's other people in the congregation that, you know, are, okay, well, who? You, wanna, you guys want to get together, whoever you are? Well, you know, and, and it doesn't materialize. They say sometimes it's usually a person wanting to do something their own way. In this case, the leader of the Christ element. Of the diverse, divisiveness going on in, in the congregation, so there's contention, contention, and Paul hears about that because one individual decides to just blow the whistle on it. I think it's Chloe. I have to go back. i just over over here, but I've heard from Chloe that there's contentions and so forth. So. So it always starts somewhat innocently. For his letters, say they, are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence. And, and, and that probably is Paul quoting what they say. Um, all right, so, but anyway, so they say, uh, yeah, I wrote, this is an overgeneralization incorporating a, a false larger group which in reality is always the same view. <laughs> ah. so, Paul, so what is cool, though, is Paul, Paul acknowledges a turf war, but he's wanting them to see in all this, they're engaging the wrong enemy. There should not be infighting amongst the groups. There should not be picking apart whatever leaders are there. Yes, there, there are turf wars, and it's always going to be. We're never going to fix that. That's, that's great. But... It's a diversionary tactic of the adversary to get us off of the true enemy, and the true enemy is Satan. And if you read one of my latest blogs, Satan will use, and it was interesting, MacArthur says, and a few others, that Satan will use our, I forget who it was I quoted, he will use the people of the church, meaning in good intentions, to to carry out his plan in the church. (laughs) That's how it always is. All right, so anyway, that's the turf war. we got to get going. Then, um, so let me, let me see. Uh, da, 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 da. So eventually what happens is, is chapter 11. The true man of God has to call their bluff. And so chapter 11 is time to put up or shut up. So chapter 10 is the turf war. This is what's happening. This is what's going on. It should not be happening. But now he, in chapter 11, takes head on, the false apostles that are wreaking such havoc and just ripping him apart and dragging him through the mud. And so he's going to give his own personal testimony of how he has served God and says, all right, guys, you who just say I'm this, that, and the other thing, I'm going to give you my resume. I hate to do this. I've never done it before. uh, But you know what? This is really desperate, and I'm going to do something I never did before, and I can't even claim that God wants me to do this. I'm going to do it on my own. And then... He just levels them one line after another. And in case I forget to say it, uh, in, in case we don't even get there, chapter 11 is kind of like this. Um, and finally, when you get to, the, it's like, I'm trying to give you pictures. It's like going to a fireworks, 4th of July fireworks display. The last one we went to was Peterborough, Peterborough last, last year, right? For um, New Year's Eve, weren't we? Portsmouth, right, right? Okay, so, and th- so they, they had a fireworks display. Well, all fireworks displays start up with mm, pop, you know, ooh, pop, and eventually it's ooh, pop, pop. And then a little bit later it's ooh, pop, 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 and ooh, you know, they get that one really cool one. Then it goes pop, 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 pooh 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 pooh. Finally, you get to the grand finale. It's a cacophony and you can't even hear yourself think or anything. That's what Paul does in chapter 11. It's just amazing. So think of it like a fireworks display where he's just giving one, or I thought of it this way, or it's the shot across the bow of a ship to catch their attention. Just, I, I watched, uh, you know, you've seen him, the old uh, fire a shot across the bow or the br- whatever, to catch their attention, tell them not to go any further. This is what Paul is doing. He's putting that, That cannonball across the bow saying, hey, guys, you got my attention. You want to go to war. This is what you're going to go against. All right. Anyway, I look like I'm scaring everybody half to death this morning. Am I being too too into this? Um, So eventually the true man of God has to call their bluff. So chapter 10 deals with internals versus external. What appears to be one thing when it's actually something different they say, and this Paul, okay, they judge Paul on the basis of his externals, his presence and appearance versus the true man. Paul reveals their true internals, verse 12, by saying, you you are comparing and measuring against yourselves and one another, not wise, not wise, not wise. Chapter 11, Paul forces the internals to surface He calls out the false apostles to show their true selves. So he's throwing down the gauntlet in chapter 11 saying, all right, let's match resumes here. I have proof. As a matter of fact, if we ever get to it, he said, look, you can see it on my back. 39 lashes. You can see it. And so, yeah, this is good stuff. All right, so where am I here? I think I might be done with the introduction. Okay, so that's that part. All right, so let's read through it and maybe make some comments along the way. All right, well, we will. All right, so I'm giving you a backdrop. You know, think of it like Popeye with the can of spinach and then chapter 11, the fireworks. All right, now, this is good. So now, I, Paul, myself, beseech you by the meekness in gentleness of christ there's so much and i've read this by m- multitude commentators there's a level of i don't know if they use this word but sarcasm that just runs through all of this so you have to and i get it because i'm 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 the master of sarcasm you know i mean i get what's being said here so now i paul myself beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of christ in presence and base among you, but being absent and bold towards you. That was the accusation. But I beseech you that I may not be bold when I am present with that confidence wherewith I think to be bold against some who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. So he, he's laying it out. Yeah, I appear meek and all that just like Yeshua did. Um, my, my appearance ain't so great, but you know you think I'm only bold in letters. Listen, I want you to know, hey, I'm coming. If you don't want me to be bold and present like you've never seen before, let's get this straightened out ahead of time. All right, verse three. For though we walk in the flesh, we don't war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God, to the pulling down of strongholds. Now, MacArthur in his Bible had a great note here about these strongholds. He said, the metaphor would have been readily understandable to the Corinthians since Corinth, like most ancient cities, had a fortress on top of a hill outside of the city in which its residents could take refuge. So they know about this uh, stronghold. The formidable spiritual strongholds manned by the forces of hell, can be demolished only by spiritual weapons wielded by the godly believer, singularly the sword of the Spirit, since only the truth of God's Word can defeat satanic falsehoods. This is the true spiritual warfare. Believers are not instructed to assault demons or Satan, but to assault error with the truth. That is our battle whoo that's a good note by macarthur we're in a battle folks there's formidable spiritual strongholds manned by the forces of hell and the only way you're gonna win we're gonna win is through the truth of god's word not trying to cast out demons not anointing the cracks in the wall to keep out demons not just always praying this that, and the other thing talking to satan to go be gone that's not our battle our battle is to assault error with truth. And the only way we do that is not necessarily only by experience, but by what can be validated with thus saith the Lord. All right, so that, I thought that was a good, good note by, by MacArthur by far. All right, so now I like um, verse 5. And this is a, a verse that many of us have memorized. And, and I want to try to bring some clarification to this casting down so he says you know we're in this battle in essence it's a battle of theology a battle for turf battle of ideology it's a battle of beliefs it's a battle of who's going to follow whom so he he sets us up by saying you know we walk verse 3 Uh, For though we walk in flesh, listen, I'm not battling here after the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare, they're not fleshy, but they're mighty through God to pull down these strongholds so they would have a mental picture. Then he says, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringeth into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Um. We've memorized that with 2 Corinthians 10. We've, we've memorized that verse and, and preachers have preached on how we are to take captive every thought and bring it into obedience to Christ. Okay, by way of application, I suppose you, you can do that. But that is not the context. And whenever this gets brought up, I at least want to try to put it in, in context. What it's talking about here is... is casting down false teachings the ideology the philosophy the system that is propagating error in falsehood it's not talking about the thoughts and imaginations that come into our mind and you know be gone satan or get these thoughts out of my mind god i don't want them there it's talking about things more of a, a philosophical spiritual doctrinal um adversaries that are trying to topple the threshold of truth so those that perpetuate error and those that perpetuate anti-biblical philosophy and theology that's the thoughts, the process the things that are going on inside of them that are being propagated through them those are those things we're supposed to tear down i forgot to do it there's a great note by albert barnes on this verse that, that says pretty much exactly what I just said. That's not my thought on this. I, I tried to relate the best I can uh, from, from uh, the notes and, and I got everything else done, but I forgot to print this out. So it's talking about that. And, and, and I've not argued, but have thorough discussions with individuals. And there was one fellow in our, our, congreg- our church that uh, I, you know, for the longest time, taught adult Sunday school class, which was fine. But this was one of those favorite verses where one of his favorite teachers that they particularly followed just, you know, hammered and hammered about guarding your mind and thoughts and all that. And I I would tell him off to the side, say, listen, that's great application, but that's not context. Well, what's it saying? I said, you read the context. You try to put it back into context. Then you tell me what it's saying. And a few weeks later, he said, Pastor, you know what? You're right, that's not the context. And I said, there's nothing wrong with making application from it, but the context is a greater thing here. Paul is trying to say, what I'm trying to correct in this conversation is, is all this philosophical, theological, stuff that is being passed around that is wrong that's captivating the minds and the hearts of the people in the congregation and this is the stuff that's grabbing a foothold a stronghold amongst the congregation and it's actually tearing it apart and i am now here to stop that paul says and so um, uh, anyway so this uh imaginations i do have a note in in my my study bible which um, I think it says it well enough. It says, so believers, how they conduct themselves in spiritual warfare. It is by casting down, they say parenthesis destroying, imaginations, false arguments such as Paul's opponents have raised. Okay, that's in, in a nutshell. We are to cast down, destroy imaginations, false arguments such as Paul's opponents have raised. Paul says there's a fortress in the congregation that needs to be destroyed and demolished. And the way that we're going to do that, folks, is to cast down, destroy the false arguments. The false reasonings, the false philosophies, the false teachings that are being spread by the false apostles in your midst. All right, so let's move on. All right, so where are we? Verse 5. So let's keep reading. I'm going to stop at, at 10, verse 10. So, so casting down five imaginations, every th- high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing it into captivity, every thought to the obedience of Christ and having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience, avenge when your obedience is fulfilled. Do ye look on things after the outward appearance? If any man trusts to himself that he is Christ, and, and all commentators that I read said that th- this is my word, a slam at those that were in the Christ party. I mean, because it, they seemed to be, the commentators I read, they were the most powerful party among the four groups that were vying for ascendancy. So he says, if any man trust in himself that he is Christ, let him of himself think this again, that as he is Christ, even so, the we, Paul uses this, 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 this is a grammatical way of writing, is I. Uh, as he is Christ, even so I am Christ. For though, verse 8, for though I should boast somewhat of our authority, my authority. Which That was the battleground, the authority. For though I should boast somewhat more of our authority, which the Lord hath given us for edification and not for your destruction, I should not be ashamed. So he's setting up chapter 11, as we're going to know it. That I may not seem as if I would terrify your letters. For his letters, say they, are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. (laughs) This is more, this is great for me because you've not sat behind this. You've not been on the other side of the pulpit in ministry for a long time. This, I, I, I have an affinity with what's going on here because I have been picked apart every which way towards Sunday, whatever that saying is. And, and, and it's just, it's part of the territory, you know. But Paul is saying, you know, okay, listen, they say they're Christ's, I'm Christ too. And they're going to judge me by appearance? I'm going to reveal their appearance in just a few sentences. All right, so, but his bodily presence is weak and contemptible. Um, And then, and we'll get there because I'll forget, chapter 6, but it says, but though I be rude in speech, all right, so... um, i got to get my notes together here. Um, okay, so, what is this talking about? Um, uh, we still, here it is, we still fall prey to the illusions of physical appearances. For example, I have, so there, so Paul or Apollos, what we're told in 1 Corinthians 1:12, that Apollos was eloquent and mighty in the scriptures. He was a good talker. He was, good, he was eloquent. So, so, is, so we still fall prey to the illusions of physical appearances. So there's a Paul or Apollos. You know, the best pastor I ever had that is responsible for our family being what it is was Pastor Green in Belton, South Carolina, And when we went there, it was this little church at the end of a dirt road with one house there sitting on property that had been donated to the church with a brick building sitting in the middle of Little Dunk, Belton, South Carolina. I thought I was at the end of the world when I drove in there for possibility of being a part of that ministry. I'm thinking, what am I getting into? It wasn't the big churches in Greenville that we had been going to with thousands of people and the big mega ministries. And I'm thinking, what am I getting into here? What podunk hillbilly place is this that's dropped off the map, for crying out loud? The mills are dead and gone. And I'm a Yankee plopped into this Mayberry Village. It's like, what is going on? Pastor Green, the best pastor you would ever care to have, be blessed to have. How would I rate him in his preaching, 1 to 10? Well, 3, 4 to be good. You know, not disparaging him. And I mentioned it when they flew me back there for one of his anniversaries. (laughs) And I was talking about what you want in a real pastor. And uh, I did highlight the fact Pastor Green wasn't necessarily the best pastor. Uh, preacher but that's not what kept us there and i would have stayed there and we had talked about me becoming his assistant and staying there in the ministry with him forever i stayed there because that was a true man of god with a true heart a pastoral heart did he look i first time i shook his hand he's missing the first part of his index finger was chopped off in one of those meat things when he was in college trying to work money you're balding, nothing fancy about him. his, his clothes look like you know they just a little out of and then the building and uh, it, appearances did not win us over. It was when he shook my hand and that smile on his face and said, "Welcome brother Warren. We're so glad to have you here. Come on back in the office. And that place came alive in the Holy Spirit's presence because of what was there. Regardless, it was at the end of this dirt road sitting in the middle of nowhere in this dead town that time had passed. I chose Paul over Apollos. My family is what it is today in large part because of that man and that ministry. Be careful, folks. Appearances, oratory... What's in the heart? All right. Then then another thing you have Yeshua, who is born of humble means. He's a commoner. He doesn't have a pedigree. And it's Yeshua against the clerical Pharisees. Same problem Yeshua faced. He did not match the model. They were surprised at what came out of his mouth, when still so very young. How can this be? Isn't his father Joseph? He's the son of a carpenter. They're way up there. Look at these people. And it just baffled their minds. Well, we're we're told in Isaiah, no form nor comeliness, and that refers most likely to his humble origin rather than his personal appearance, from my study Bible note. This refers to his humble origin rather than his personal appearance. We always say, well, you looked at him, you didn't see anything fancy and blah, blah, blah. Perhaps, I don't know. I I wouldn't be surprised at that. But when he opened his mouth, everybody's surprised at what came out of it. But it refers to his humble origin. He was a commoner. He didn't have pedigree. Parents, same problem. And then, let's bring it down today. So you have Paul or Paulus, physical appearance. You have Yeshua, clerical. You're not dressed up right. You didn't go to right schools. The rabbis don't back you. Well, who do you think you are? You're telling us to break the law anyway. You're all screwy. Then you get down to art day. Big congregation versus small congregation. It's automatic. I do it myself every time I come here, and there's just a handful of us. Failure, failure, failure. You know, Warren, who do you think you are anyway? You know, I don't think I'm anything anyway. Don't get me wrong. You ask my family. They're the ones that are trying to help me see myself better than I do. Well, who do you think you are, Warren? You actually prepare messages and you hope and think people might even be willing to come. You write these stupid blogs. You know, who do you think you are? You know, look at that Messianic teacher and go to his website and look how... Massive it is, and 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 they're heading up cruises on uh, Sukkot to go to the Bahamas on a cruise ship to celebrate Sukkot and you can't even afford the ticket. Who do you think you are? Your congregation is nothing. You're happy your son preaches? Well, he's still nothing. You know, and then you start measuring it if you're in the Christian realm. Uh, you have our little church. Actually, it ended up on the four lane highway, which is still nothing from nothing town to nothing town. But we ended up getting five, uh, 10 acres of property. Prime thing that the people knew our church forever, knew Pastor Green. They gave us to the, the, the acreage for next to nothing. I was there uh, with Pastor Green when he's walking the field, and there's still cows out there just begging God, give us his property. And you know what happened? After, what, 30 years, the Christian school closed down because the faction in that church after I was long gone. This this is what happened. This man that built that church from 40, 50 people up into, for their, well, I don't know, over 200 consistently doing great things for God. He was the president of the the, uh, Baptist Fellowship of of the Southern States. The bigwigs from, we had a bigwig from our school come and other bigwigs at the dedication of the building I mean, we were doing things for God. We, we, Judy and I, we were the first teachers hired. We, we were there. We started that Christian school. It grew from two school rooms. Judy had one, first to sixth grade. Maybe we had a kindergarten. I don't remember. You don't have to correct me right now. Shake your head or give me the wrong looks. And then seventh to twelfth grade, I taught that. That's what we had to where we built a building, a gymnasium right there. The school was bustling. And a faction got in there. It was actually a janitor from another church they hired to come in. I, when I was there, the last time, Pastor Green, we had to go by the church. He said, Brother Warren, would you come in, in with me? I'm afraid to go into the church. And he was broken, tears. And, and he hated confrontation. That's why he knew he wanted and needed me. I'd fight the battles. Because you want to go a few rounds, come on. And I had Pastor Green's back. Oh, the heartache, folks, the heartaches. And Paul has seen it all himself. So, big small assemblies. Okay, listen to me. George Mueller, who most of you probably don't know, and if you do, it's because I've mentioned him, in 1800 started orphanages in, in England, he was German, in England that were unbelievable. Books are written about him. He's, he's incredible. He was a Plymouth Brethren. Now, nowadays, we don't even know what Plymouth Brethren are. No, they're not from Plymouth, well, I don't know. No, they're not from Plymouth Mass. I don't know why you're, where to get the name, actually. But anyway, a small offshoot of Christian churches to where Plymouth Brethren are like next to nothing, size-wise. If, if there was a dot there, you'd barely see it in the big sea of whatever is in Christianity. I actually met... Some of you don't even know Ian Paisley, perhaps, but he was in the parliament in, in Northern Ireland for years and years and years and years. He died not too long ago. great advocate for, for the Word of God and standing up against Satan and against the Catholic Church. And, and um, but so he was a, a fighting Presbyterian. Man, rah, rah rah. And he spoke at our college several times while I was there. Anyway, while well, I got intrigued with the Plymouth Brethren through a friend of mine, blah, 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 in our church, I, I visited and I ended up meeting Ian Paisley's brother at this small little Plymouth Brethren hole in the wall congregation in Hartford. And it looked just like his brother sounded like his brother. I said, I said don't take this wrong, but there's your brother, you know, in the parliament known worldwide, preached everywhere, been on you know TV and blah, blah, blah. And then you're a Plymouth Brethren? Didn't you make a wrong turn somewhere? And he just said, no, I just felt this is where God wanted me to go. Small. So, you, you know, small, big, small, big. We still battle this today. George Mueller, Plymouth Brethren, small. All right. Now, moving on, I got to get through this. So because uh, my next note will be, I think, chapter 11. So if I, so we're making it, folks. We're making it. So let me get through the rest of this. So uh, verse 10. Let such a one think this, that such as we are in word by letters, we are uh, letters when we are absent. Such will we be also indeed when we are present. For we dare not make ourselves. Of the number, and that's a term. I think I think it's a term that's referring to the the, the the numbers, the groupings of those that are that are making up these factions. For for we dare not make ourselves of the number, of the number. You can put quotes around it, or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves. And he's ramping up here, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are idiots. They're not wise. But we will not boast of things without our. Outside our measure, our, our authority. But according to the measure of the authority rule which God has given to us, a measure to reach even unto you. So he's saying, I'm only going to boast about what I know. For we stretch not ourselves beyond our measure as though we reached not unto you. He's saying there, yes, we have the right to reach unto you. You're not outside our, 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 our arm of reach. God has called us to reach you. For we are come as far as to you also in preaching the gospel of Christ not boasting of things without our measure, that is, of other men's labors, but having hope when your faith is increased that we shall be enlarged by you according to our rule abundantly, to preach the gospel in the regions beyond and not to boast in another man's line of things made ready to our hand. But he that glorieth let him glory in the Lord, for not he that commendeth himself is approved, but whom the Lord commendeth. So this is where we get to chapter 11. Time to put up or shut up. All right, verse one. Would to God you could bear with me a little in my folly, quote unquote, and indeed bear with me. For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a a chaste version to Christ. But I fear lest by any means as a serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety So, your minds, and I think that's hearkening back to what I spent a lot of time on in verse 5, casting down imaginations and bringing into captivity every thought. Uh, As a serpent beguiled E through subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Oh, I have to read this note just in case I don't ever get to it. Wesley has a great note on the simplicity in Christ. I've read so much about this over the years and what commentators think is simplicity. Is it a different word? Is everybody talking about simple? I don't know. Wesley says this, one sentence in referring to the simplicity that is in Christ, whatever verse we're in, verse 3. The simplicity which is lovingly intent on Christ alone seeking no other person or thing. That is great. That's the best way I've heard it. I actually found that this morning in my Wesley study Bible, which I've had forever. It's referring to the simplicity which is lovingly intent on Christ alone, seeking no other person or thing. And he fears lest by any means as a serpent beguiled Eve through his subtleties, so your minds should be corrupted from that simplicity which is lovingly intent on Christ alone, seeking no other person or thing. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if ye receive another spirit which ye have not received, or another gospel which ye have not accepted, ye might bear well with him. For I suppose... I was not a whit behind the very chiefest apostle, but though I be rude in speech, yet not in knowledge, but we have been thoroughly made manifest among you in all things. Have I committed an offense in abasing myself that ye might be exalted because I have preached to you the gospel of God freely? I robbed other churches, taking wages of them to do you service. I have so many notes, I don't know if I can find them anymore. Basically, what he's saying is, listen, folks, While I, even when I was amongst you, you didn't, you didn't care enough about me to even help me with my needs. I had to take gifts from other people that were being brought in to sustain me. So he says, you know, when I preach the gospel to you, it was, it was a charge. And, and this is such a, you have to catch the irony. I robbed other churches taking wages of them to do you service. Basically, he's saying, show me your faith by your works. And I was, Oh, how do, how do I want to say this? I'm thinking about this now. He's basically saying, what you say you believe, you couldn't even demonstrate it to the simplest display of taking care of my needs. And it was so desperate, I had to reach out to others that were going to take care of me, and you did nothing. All right, so anyway. Nine, and when I was present with you and, and wanted or lacked, I was chargeable to no man. For that which was lacking to me, the brethren which came from Macedonia supplied. And in all things I have kept myself from being burdensome unto you, and so will I keep myself. This is part of the reason I'm speaking on Luke's behalf, that he, because of what he has seen and where he's been and experienced everything, and doesn't take any money from the congregation and probably never will. He wants to be free. Free. I'm the one that gets paid a stipend for what I do. Right. Right. So he's keeping himself burdensome unto you. So in verse nine, so will I keep myself as 10, as the truth of Christ is in me, no man shall stop me of this boasting in the regions of a cab. Wherefore, because I love you not? God knows. But what I do, that I will do that I may cut Off occasion from them, which desire occasion, that wherein they glory, all right, see if they can be like we are. Wherein they glory, they may be found even as we. Now, this is what I talked about. Think of the the 4th of July fireworks display, or Portsmouth when we were there and we saw it. And the way I explained it, and it builds to this. Such a loud cacophony, you can't hear it at the end. All right, this is what Paul's doing. Oh, I'm missing my notes here. Let me give you a note on verse 6. I think it's mine, I can't remember. About his 6 It's rude. Paul's language was that of a plain, unlettered person. Paul looked and talked like a member of the lower social class. That's how they viewed him, rude in speech. And he's basically going to say, "Rude in speech, I'm going, to, I'm going to put together a line of thoughts here and a line of words <laughs> that by the time you get through, your ears are going to be ringing, your head's going to be spinning, it's, it's going to be like you went, you know, 12 rounds with rocky and you just lost. So here we go. And he calls out, probably primarily, this party of Christ. For such are false apostles, verse 13, Trans. Uh, deceitful workers transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And again, it's not my thought on this verse, is where they say he's probably taking aim at the party of Christ's followers. And no marvel, <laughs> I love this. Don't be dismayed by this or taken aback, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, here comes another firework therefore it's no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness whose ends shall be according to their works this is why i say put up or shut up he's saying show me your works verse 16 i say again let no man think me a fool if otherwise yet as a fool go ahead if that's what you think just receive me that i may boast myself a little That which I speak, I I don't speak it after the Lord. God hasn't told me to do this. But as it were, foolishly, in this confidence of boasting, seeing that many glory after the flesh, I will glory also. Now, as much as I set this up like Paul has had enough, he's, I can't, I stand all I can stand, can't stand no more. He's squeezing that can of spinach, he's swallowing it down, he's going to beat Brutus to death. I want to emphasize the other side. I believe Paul was heartbroken over this. He talks about times of how he wrote with tears. He cried, he wept over his people. This is not coming just because he had the spirit that I'm manifesting as I'm presenting this. This man is writing from a broken heart as one who gave birth to these people, if I can use that term, until Yeshua and have nourished them and seen them grow and from that little baby that you know you have right now sitting back there with it, they grow up to be like your oldest one <laughs> you know just change you know you get them and they're so sweet and they're so innocent and there you just love them and they love you and oh you're so important to them and they need you and they obey they do what you say and you can control them and then they grow up and what did they turn into this is kind of where paul is what happened to that little baby that cooed and odd and I was everything too. Well, we all grow up, right? We all grow up. So, uh, I don't even know what I'm talking about anymore. Um, hmm, hmm, hmm. Where am I? 18. Oh, yeah. So, in the confidence of both things. Seeing that many glory after the flesh, I'm going to glory also. All right, here we go. For ye suffer fools gladly. Think of the fireworks going off. Seeing yourselves are wise, for ye suffer if a man bring you into bondage, if a man devour you, if a man take of you, if a man exalt himself, if a man smite you on the face. You put up with all that. I speak as concerning reproach, as though we had been weak. Howbeit, whereinsoever any is bold, I speak foolishly, I'm bold also. Okay, now, next round of the fireworks. Boom, boom, boom. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. This had to be ripping his heart out, but he's saying I have to go to the mat here. I'm more than these guys you're following. And How? In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths Oft of the Jews five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck, a night and a day. I have been in the deep and journeyings often in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils by my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in uh, perils among false brethren." In weariness and painfulness, in watchings often. So how many sleepless nights might he have gone through? In hunger and thirst, in fastings often, going without food, probably because he did fast, but I bet there were times he had no food. In cold and nakedness. Beside those things that are without, outside the church, that which comes upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Who is weak? And I am not weak. Who is offended? And I burn not. If I must needs glory, I will glory of the things which concern mine infirmities. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is blessed forevermore, knows that I lie not. And then he gives us this, this actual thing, which probably was common enough knowledge for all the grasp hold of. In Damascus, the governor under, under Aretas, the king, kept the city of the Domatians. Uh, with a garrison, desirous to apprehend me. And through a window in a basket was I let down by the wall and escaped his hand. No fancy helicopter to the land after the service and scoop him up and fly him over to the next service. No private jet that he has at home that he can get out, get in, get out, and get away. No, nope. he, he, he doesn't even, you know, he's below the hold in the ship. He has to get and escaped in a basket. Gosh. About, think about this, guys. This is incredible. Probably, if I can say this humanly speaking, the greatest man that God ever raised up to serve Him. That's a broad statement. Look at what he went through. It doesn't make any sense. No, it doesn't make any sense. Yeshua comes; he's low class citizen. Father's a carpenter. You know, Paul, he's no uneducated guy. He sat under Gamaliel for crying out loud. He's a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He rose up the highest of the ranks of the Pharisees. He's no idiot. And, And the thing is, if he had stayed a Pharisee, man, what a life he would have had. Well taken care of, great perks, great retirement program, would have had great... Great clothes, great housing, great food. (sighs) People taking care of him. Oh, gosh, there's so many things I want to say right now. Folks, we just had this all turn around inside out, wrapped around backwards. (sighs) And we're still arguing and fighting over the same thing, our teachers, the ones we're going to follow interesting thing is, and I've said it before, and I would tell people in my church and the churches I've been involved in, you like that guy? I get it. I like listening to him, too. You want our church to be more like their church? I get it. I do, too. When you die, call that guy to come do your funeral. When you lose that child, call that guy to come and sit and weep with you. When you've lost your job, your house, you call that guy. Call your favorite messianic guy. Call him. Have him come. Have him be your apostle Paul. You know, you need somebody that's there, boots on the ground. And I'm just tired of it, folks. We are no different than the Corinthians and what's even worse we're messianics and we think we've arrived we've just wrapped the baby up in different clothes and (laughs) creating the same child all over again i'm done and i think folks that's part of the reason i I probably end up driving people away they don't get my spirit they don't get my heart the apostle paul was just so mad yeshua was so mad it's time to Eat the spinach and beat the devil to death. It's time to beat the devil to death. We cannot any longer let him have his way in our congregations, Messianic or Christian. We have to stop this. And we have to stop being the tools that he uses to do it. All in the name of God. Read my blog, it was the one before this, I think. All this stuff we do in the name of Jesus, in the name of Yeshua, it's just BS. It's selfishness, it's pride, it's boastful, it's arrogance, and we want our pockets lined. And we'll get so bad, when it comes time to Passover, I am gonna dress up looking like a rabbi, my guys follow me, will look like a rabbi, and on the cross, we are gonna have this mock lamb slain on a cross, wrapped in a crown and we're going to uh, uh, thorns and, and a crown and, and we're going to pray this before the God Graves and oh how spiritual we are it's hucksterism and nobody wants to hear this stuff anymore I don't care I go back I hearken to the men that have walked before me and have preached our people could never sit under the preaching of a Moody or a Spurgeon or a Mueller. We're too weak. We're so easily offended. Our feelings are hurt. How dare that guy try to correct me and tell me what I he, he should do and how I should be? No, I will not stand for that. Well, we have the luxury in our churches of going down the corner and finding the next mega church. We have the luxury now. We can't, as so we can't find the nearest Messianic congregation, but we can go on the Internet nobody's going to, I'll find him, ah, done, folks, I'm done, so done, so done, so done, and I'm done, let's pray, Father, I don't know where this comes from, I don't know, maybe it's just pent up, or maybe it's just a truth, and maybe this is how Yeshua felt when he finally got into that temple, just ripped it to shreds, or Paul, when he rips these false apostles to shreds, Oh, the aftermath, the carnage, what had to be picked up and cleaned out of that temple and and the fallout from what Paul probably had to deal with because of his harshness, as they called it. There's always carnage, there's aftermath, blood spilled. But that's just the way the cross, Father. Help us to realize this. And even as MacArthur said, our battle is to fight error with the truth of word of God, not go looking for demons and satan under every bush and being misdirected by our adversary god we have to stop this so anyway i thank you for the men that you brought into my life from the generations past that i've read about and read their sermons and jonathan edwards that preached sinners in the hands of an angry god in new england we can't handle that stuff anymore we have become so weak and i blame me father It's the preachers, it's me. I'm as much to blame as anybody else. Father, wake up our preachers. Like Joel said, it's time for the priest to fall down on their face before God and weep and confess sin. But usually it takes a plague, some kind of locust to come. And Father, I'm fearing the locust. And it's interesting, probably if it's correct, what we understand Revelation, the the locusts are going to be let loose. I think the locusts are let loose, Father, in one way or the other. So I don't know, Father. Wrap this up, finish it. Do with it as you see fit. I do truly seek to glorify and honor you. And it's just coming through me, this vessel. I uh, may be rude in speech and my appearance ain't so hot. But, Father, I know above all else, you and my wife and to some degree my kids know my heart and spirit. So, Father, I lay it all before you. My kids, my my grandkids, this ministry, everything. If you're not in it, it's nothing, and we don't want it anyway. So, your will be done in all of our lives in Yeshua's name. Amen. Hey, mighty warrior,